Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 25 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guest today is a seven-time world champion. She is the badass of the allure, Angelina Love. Angelina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. 25 is a good number. It is a good number. Almost as many years as you've, as you've been in the wrestling business, right? You've been True, in yes. <laughs> Close. 20 years now. What an, what an accomplishment. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy to sit and think that I'm you know, in my late thirties and I've had a 20 year career doing something. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. And obviously still at the top of your game. Yeah, I, I am that kind of person. I've never wanted to, you know, kind of fade back into the shadows or whatever. This is the one thing in my life that I've been so passionate about where the passion has never died down. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. So let me ask you a tough question right off the bat. And I know in a 20-year career like yours, it's really hard to answer this question. But you've had so many great moments in your career. But if you had to just pick one, if I said, what was the most memorable or the favorite moment in your 20-year career, can you pick just one? Um, so I'm terrible at, like, pick just one or the favorites game. Because um, I always have more than one answer. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I would – I. I always kind of go back to like the first time I ever won a major championship, which was the, the TNA knockouts title in 2009. Um, that was my first like major company, major pay-per-view win. And I was completely unconscious on my feet. So it's a, it's a very, not quite the way I wanted it to go, but uh, definitely a, a, a story to tell. So, well, let's tell that story. I was actually at that show. It was uh, lockdown in Philadelphia, 2009. It yeah. was a cage match between you, Taylor Wilde, and Awesome Kong. I think Kong went in as the champion. Yep. And as you alluded to, you were literally, you won the knockouts title while you were literally knocked, knocked out. out. Yeah. Yes. I mean, <laughs> that, it almost sounds like a book, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. So what do you remember from, like, what do you actually remember as far as, you're going through the match, and then Taylor Wilde, the, the spot where you got hurt, she came off the top with a crossbody. Looks like maybe yes. she went a little bit high, and mm -hmm. you came down, your head bounced off the mat, her weight down on top of you. What do you remember from that point on? So, well, I just remember, like, we were so excited, because, I mean, TNA was, like, hot at that time. Like, we were killing it. You know, we were doing live on pay-per-view Sunday nights and um, we were just, you know, me and Velvet doing the Beautiful People. That was our super hot time as well. So we were just so looking forward to that. And, you know, I was going to win that night. So just me, you know, that was like, you know, nine years into my career um, winning my first major championship. You know, I was so excited about it. I was ready to take that ball and run with it. And um, I, I love working Kong, love working Taylor Wilde. We trained together, we could work each other in our sleep. So it couldn't have been just like a better scenario. And uh, 
we were, Velvet and I were tying Kong's hair to the cage to incapacitate her. And then, I mean, we had such a, we had such a great finish plan for that match. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I turned to Taylor Wilde and I fed in close and she jumped high and far. And the last thing I remember seeing was like her hips <laughs> coming from my face. And um, yeah, once I took that bump, I mean, I don't remember anything. And you, if you watch it, I just completely slumped to the side. And she's just kind of like, Ugh. and then, you know, the ref immediately checks on me. And the next thing I remember is I came to at some point, but I don't remember what point that was, because if you look at me, if you watch me on the video, my eyes are open and I'm actually talking to the ref, but I have no recollection of that. Um, the, the one thing I do remember was coming to, and I remember just looking forward into the crowd and it was like, it was like everybody was vibrating. Everybody was super blurry and it looked like everybody was vibrating. Um, and then I just went out again. And then when I came to was right when I pinned Taylor Wilde, because if you watch Rudy, the ref, he kind of like, gives me a little bump, like kind of gives me a little Iggy. Um, and uh, like he kind of pushes me a little bit. And all I remember hearing was pin her. And I didn't know if that meant somebody was coming to pin me or if I was supposed to pin somebody. But I just looked over and saw Taylor Wilde laying there and I pinned her, one, two, three. And if you look at me, like I have no idea what's going on. I'm just sitting there. I got this goofy look on my face and I'm just like, huh, what? And Velvet had no idea. She had no idea what was going on because if you look at her, she's just celebrating like normal and she comes in the ring and I think the ref told her I was hurt. Um, and then we do my minor in-ring celebration. Um, and then, you know, they go dark and they go to the video package for the next match. And I remember I couldn't get out of the ring, like both Rudy and Velvet. I couldn't figure out like, you know, lifting up my leg to go in between the second and the bottom rope and ducking through. Like I literally had to get helped out of the ring up the ramp to the back and then I was literally thrown into like four security guards arms and they brought me past everybody because we had to go past gorilla so you know everyone was concerned and then I went back and sat with our trainer who I love and uh I remember I was just like oh my god did I mess up the match did I mess up the finish of the match did I mess up the finish of the match and uh you know, he took me from one spot into another room and they were doing all these checks on me and stuff. And then they obviously realized I had a concussion. I didn't need to go to the hospital. But um, I remember I remember being back in the locker room and I, my parents were there because they drove from Toronto to Philly. It was like eight hours. They knew I was going to win. So they wanted to come be in the crowd and experience their daughter winning her first major championship. And uh, luckily they didn't know either, but I remember I had a flip phone at that time and I was like trying to text my parents to tell them what happened. But you know, if you want to hit C, you got to hit one three times. And you know, like I couldn't, I remember I couldn't get the words from my head through my thumbs into the phone. So I had to get velvet to, I think she actually called my mom. She either texted my mom or called my mom and told her like, Hey, just want to let you know, like Lauren is like really hurt. She's okay. She's got a concussion, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so I was really worried. So of course that night I was woke up every half hour. I didn't get a, a full night's sleep at all. And then we had to fly from Philly down to Orlando to film our Monday, Tuesday tapings. So I was really scared about flying. I didn't know if that was safe for me, uh, considering my condition. Um, 
And then normally when we do pay-per-views, when we would be at TV the next day, they would play them on like the, you know, the big Tron, the big screen. So we could watch the pay-per-view back. And I remember like sitting on the ring apron watching my match. And once I got, it's very, very bizarre to watch yourself eyes open, speaking, functioning, when you know you're completely unconscious. Like, and to watch that back, it's just like, wow, I had my eyes open. I, like, it looks like I was talking to Rudy, but I have no recollection of that whatsoever. And I remember Bobby Roode, he was kind of sitting on the ring apron down at the other side of the ring. And he just looked at me and he was like, do you remember any of this? And I was just like, no, this is like the craziest thing to be watching right now. Um, and I remember Vince Russo, God bless him, he wanted it to be this big celebration and we're screaming and we're blowing horns and noisemakers and all the things. And I'm like, Vince, like my brain hurts so bad. I have such a headache. Like I can't scream. I can't do anything. So we kind of had like Velvet and Madison kind of doing most of the yelling and the screaming and the celebrating for me. And I mean, we got through it. It was just, you know, never how I had seen it in my head and not how a creative had it planned either. And basically they were like, like, cause you have to ad lib, obviously Taylor Wilde, God bless her, the professional she is. You got one person tied to a cage and you got one person unconscious in the ring live on pay-per-view. You know, this is where you learn as a wrestler, you have to ad lib sometimes because anything can happen. Um, and I know in the back they were like, listen, we'll just put the belt on Taylor Wilde if we have to, and then we'll just put it on Angelina at TV or something. But it ended up working out to where I want it, and we just <laughs> kind of went from there. Right. How ironic that the most memorable moment of your career is a moment that you don't really remember. I don't remember, yeah. And, I, you know, and I'm trying to think of, well, is there like another better moment? I could say, like, I've had plenty of great moments, but I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would say like, oh, my favorite moment was the first time I ever won a major championship. You know, it's a big deal. So. Absolutely. Well, it, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, improvisational skills because, yeah, I can only imagine the fear going through Taylor Wilde's head at that point, like you said, Kong's incapacitated, you're out, and she knows she's supposed to drop the, the, the fall. Um, yeah, I guess you had one or two, she had one or two choices at that point, which was just a new finish, which is she goes over and pins you, or they come up with something. If, if I recall right, it was Kong, I think, kicked her to the yeah. mat, and that, that allowed you the yeah, open... So Right. So Taylor, you know, like I said, the professional she is, she just grabbed a hold because she didn't know what was going on. So right. she just kind of, she just kind of put me in a little chin lock so everybody could kind of figure out. So, you know, so creative could talk to Rudy through his earpiece and Rudy could kind of tell Taylor Wild like, Hey, this is what you need to do, whatever. So I don't know if you could, I mean, you can kind of see it. And it was really just the best thing that could have been done at the time. Like she put me in a headlock and they kind of chit chatted for a little bit. And then she kind of just threw me to the side and she just walked over to Kong and she went, kick me. Right. <laughs> so she kind of did it where like, you know, not everybody could tell that she did that. So then, then she just took this gigantic bomb. Yeah. And then that's when Rudy kind of, you know, gave me the little Iggy and was like, pin her. And I pinned her. And so it was an extremely anticlimactic finish. We had a badass finish planned, but it ended up being slightly anticlimactic, but it was all we could do given the circumstances. So I'm glad we at least made that happen. Yeah, I think given the circumstances, absolutely. And, and I remember exactly, because uh, I watched the match before, I wanted to watch it before we did this interview today. And um, yeah, when she grabs a hold on you, it is completely, like 
your eyes are glazed over. You're limp. Like your arms are at your side. Oh yeah. My arms just hang to the side. Like she's literally holding my body up. My back is curved. Like there is nothing going on there at all. Yeah. Well, scary stuff. I mean, obviously. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Good. I'm glad it turned out the way it did. Is that the worst concussion that you, I'm, I'm guessing yeah. that is the worst concussion you've ever had. Yeah. So we actually, we actually learned from a, like a, this concussion class that we took with Chris Nowinski that like there was no such thing as like a minor concussion or a major concussion. Like a concussion is a concussion. So I always said that it was a major concussion because I've definitely had other numerous bumps to the head before. Um, but nothing like that. And you know, my jaw, I remember the, uh, the trainer called to check on me a week later and I told him my jaw hurt so bad, like to chew and everything. And he said that, and I, I might be saying this wrong. And this was also, you know, 11 years ago, but there's a, a fatty pad. That's where your jaw hinges, where it attaches like your jaw to your skull, I think. And something like that, if that pad gets squished, you're out. Like there's something with that. And he said that she probably hit my jaw and also like, so it was like three things. Like my jaw got squished, my head got squished and it bounced really hard off the mat. Wow. So, and he, he said to me, he said, do you know that you asked me 27 times if you messed up the finish of the match? And I was like, what? I'm like, no. And he's like, yeah, when you got to the back. You just continually, constantly asked me that question. That was your only concern. And he goes, and I answered you every single time, but your brain was not computing that I was giving you an answer. You weren't understanding it. You weren't getting it. You know, your brain wasn't receiving that. You were just like, you were so messed up. And I was just like, whoa, that's crazy. I had no idea. Wow. It's like that sketch on the old Saturday Night Live. I only remember Mr. Short-Term Memory, where we forget everything. I don't. Yeah, well, like he would say something and like he would respond, and then two seconds later he'd ask the same question again. But um, yeah, it does goes to show though how much how concerned you were though that you that was the question you kept asking. <laughs> yeah, like, am I okay or this? It's like did I mess up the finish of the match? Yeah, that says yeah. a lot. Twenty seven times. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we go any further, I want to ask you something on a on a bit of a, a serious note, personal note. Um, I want to bring up the untimely passing of uh, road warrior animal, Joe Laurinaitis, because I was looking at your social media. Yeah. I had no idea that you actually had a relationship. A, um, uh, he, he was like watching your kid, your, your son, yeah. things like that. Can you tell me? Actually, how as yeah. soon as we're done this, I'm going to go see his wife. Okay. Um, Cause his funeral's tomorrow. And unfortunately uh, my son and I will miss it because we're, we're actually going on vacation starting tomorrow afternoon and the funeral is tomorrow afternoon. So that's why I wanted to be able to go see uh, his wife, Kim, today. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I, Joe has never stopped working. So I have seen him at numerous appearances, conventions, comic cons, you know, um, WrestleCon before WrestleMania, all that kind of stuff. Like I've seen him a million places. Like I think the first time I met him was in 2008. And that's the picture that I posted on my, um, my Instagram is me and Velvet. We met him at like the NWA Legends Fan Fest in like August, 2008 or something. And I posted the picture that we have with him from there. But I, you know, I'm currently in St. Louis and um, he had moved here because his son played for the Rams when they were here. Um, and he's got, you know, like a, a daughter and grandchildren. So he's got family that live in this area and they actually only live about 25 minutes away 
Um, and you know, Kim, his wife, she was kind of in the same situation as me. She came here for Joe. I had come here for my ex. Um, and you know, we're both not from here. Uh, we don't love it here. Um, so <laughs> sorry, St. Louis, have- if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, there's been positives obviously. Uh, but, uh, you know, so we, we were really able to bond and there was some times where I needed to go work for ring of honor and do shows and needed help caring for my son. Um, so Kim, you know, she just, you know, we're friends on Facebook and she was just like, Oh my God, I love your son. He's so sweet. He's so cute. Like we'll totally help you. She understood the needing of the help when you don't have family around and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so they just, and you know what, what, what I found to be really amazing is I find that young children and animals, they, they, they know a certain vibe, a certain energy from people that we as adults, I don't think have that heightened sense of awareness to, to see or feel. Um, and I, that was just so immediately obvious to me how David took to Kim and Joe. Um, it was like an immediate sense of family, an immediate third set of grandparents. It was like the, like the second David met Joe, like he wasn't scared. You know, Joe's a big man. He could look very intimidating to a small child, but I think my son felt his vibes and his energy. And it was just, he was immediately like drop kicking him and like, you know, playing with him. And it was like, he was a human jungle gym and he was calling him Joey and Kim and Joe just thought that was the funniest thing because no one has ever called Joe Joey. (laughs) And David was just like, Joey, Joey, Joe. Like I posted that video on my Instagram. It was just like, Joey, Joey, Joey. Like, and their, their home is just so warm and you just feel so welcome. And it just gives you this sense of comfort and it just, Oh, I don't want to cry. Um, it just meant so much for them to give my son and I that sense of family here that we don't have. Um, and they just took such good care of him. So to hear that he just passed and I don't know what happened. Um, I can't speak on that. Uh, but I do know that it absolutely came out of nowhere. Um, you know, Joe, Joe just turned 60 on September 12th. I just turned 39 on September 13th. So Dave, Kim had asked if David and I could film a little birthday video for Joe. She was going to do this big compilation of videos for his 60th birthday. So we sent that to him. And then on my birthday, September 13th, which was only two weeks ago, Joe texted me and was like, happy birthday. And I was like, Hey, thank you. You too. And he was like, Hey, I got David's video. It was great. I loved it. And I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. Like he misses you guys so much because we haven't seen them probably in about five or six months just because of COVID stuff, you know? So, um, so when I heard that, I, I was definitely in shock because to me, Joe was strong, healthy, full of life, just turned 60. Like, oh my God, that's so young. And just to hear that he just died, I've, I felt like David and I lost a member of our family. It, 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 it feels like a, a family loss. Um, so yeah. Well, so I'm actually, when we're done this, I'm actually going to go buy some flowers and go visit Kim. So well, like I said, I had no idea that you guys were were close again until I saw it on your uh, your Instagram and um, and Twitter. Uh, but yeah, my obviously my condolences to you and and to your son. That's a loss for you guys, and and certainly yeah, my condolences obviously to to animals, friends, family, fans. Yeah, I, mean, I can't say enough. I can't say enough good stuff about him and Kim. They are just just such wonderful, loving people. And my son just loved them. And that just says so much to me too, how close he got to them in such a short amount of time. 
Um, but yeah, oh my God, they were so great with him. No, nothing but good things to say about him. Let me move on to a different topic. Let me ask you just about um, this crazy world that we're living in where we haven't, uh, we haven't seen you wrestle since February 29th. Uh, seven more than seven months at this point. Yeah. My, my first question just is, what have you been doing during the time off? We've just been living life. Like, I mean, it has not been, you know, incredibly different. Uh, we just, you know, my son is in, in preschool and we just haven't gone to as many indoor places to play <laughs> as we did before, you know, all this stuff happened. So um, I've just kept our life as normal as possible. Because I think if you don't watch the news and you don't go on social media, you probably wouldn't even really know like what's been going on in the world. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, you know, it's obviously changed for me. We haven't been traveling. So that's been something that I've been doing forever. Um, so, but like I said, we're, we're going on vacation tomorrow. So it's much, definitely much needed. Well, for you as a, as a wrestler, have you enjoyed the break from, you know, the bumps and the traveling, as you said, or has it almost been like, I don't know, going through withdrawal, not being in a ring for this long? No, I'm not the type of person where I go through withdrawal. Um, you know, like, I mean, when I had David, when I was pregnant and then had David, I was off for 13 months, you know, so, um, no, to me, it's not weird. Like I'm like, I miss the ring of honor roster. Oh my gosh. Like the roster is so cool. I miss seeing everybody. I miss hanging out and working with everybody. Um, I miss doing our shows, but you know, we've, but my son and I moved and, um, you know, I've, we've been spending an incredibly large amount of time together. And, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. I was going to say that has to be the silver lining is obviously this is great bonding time with your son that you wouldn't have if you've been on the road all this time. Not that Ring yeah. of Honor has a tremendously challenging. No, and that's why, that's another thing that's so great about Ring of Honor. They do not have a crazy schedule whatsoever. Like if you have a family, like this is probably the best company and the best schedule you want to have. Absolutely. And I've heard that you're not the only person I've heard say that. And uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's great. Not only does it give you guys a chance to have more of a quote unquote normal life, but it gives your bodies a break as well. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, that's kind of here or there because sometimes, um, when you're so used to bumping, when you are not doing it, you stiffen up. Sure. If that makes sense. So, well, but for me, like I said, I've been, I'm, I'm a small woman. I've been doing this for 20 years. I've birthed a human. It's like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not, I'm not in too much pain, like one way or the other. Um, you know, like I said, I, the longest I've been off before is probably 13 months when I was pregnant and then had David, I went back and started wrestling like three months later. Um, and at the most, I was just a little more out of breath than normal, but this is in my body. It's my life. Like I'll never forget how to do it. I don't think I'll ever get rusty, you know? So. Well, I think I speak on behalf of all men when I say, thank God that the women are the ones who birthed the humans. Because if it was up to us, I don't know. I, the population. We would, <laughs> we would not have a, an earth with a population on it, I don't think. I think you're right about that. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more with Angelina Love right after us. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for Week by Week. ROH! 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 
All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is seven-time former world champion, Angelina Love. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the early days of your career. I think most fans know about you from TNA, obviously, uh, the beautiful people, you and Velvet. They might not know that you were in WWE developmental uh, for a few years before that. What was that experience like, being in the uh, developmental system? It was, I mean, it was definitely an experience, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, you know, I had, a, I was Tommy Dreamer's first hire once he got into um, his talent relations position in WWE. And I had been on the Indies about four, four and a half years. And uh, I just remember, oh gosh, I just remember once I got that phone call. Of course, I was in the shower. Like, I feel like everybody has like this story to go like where were you when you got your phone call to say you were hired by WWE like of course I was in the shower um and I saw you know but I had my phone because I, I was expecting Tommy to call me that day so I had my phone on the counter beside the shower and he called so of course you know hop out of the shower put a towel on and he calls me and I'm just like on the floor in my bathroom crying <laughs> you know like I'm 23 years old and you know you get hired by WWE you think you're set for life and that is not the case for I'd say about 90% of the people that got hired by WWE um but you know I would just just remember being so happy and plus you know I was wanting to go home I was living in Nashville at the time um but I was wanting to go home and see my family in Toronto for Christmas, but I was kind of waiting until I had this information. And I feel like he called me on like December 20th or something like that. So I, you know, I ended up going home like two days later and, you know, my parents knew that this call was coming. So my mom was at work and I called her and she put, she, she like put me on hold and she went and gathered like everybody from the office and like brought them into her like little office and like put her phone on speakerphone. And I told her, I was like, I got hired. And like everybody started screaming my mom was almost like crying you know it was like a really it was a really great time so um so I had the choice of either starting immediately and going to OVW or waiting until this new developmental in Georgia was going to open up it was going to be all new people blah 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 so I just personally had felt that there was a ton of people in OVW and I worried that if I went there I was just going to get lost in the shovel so I was like, well, I'll just wait until this new place opens and I'll be one of the, you know, the new people because everybody there will be new. Um, you know, the focus will be on that. Yeah. So, so it was about five months later that it, that it, uh, you know, kind of opened and we all went down there started in May, 2005. I got hired at the end of December, 2004. Um, and it was pretty crazy. Um, for the first six months, I was the only girl. It was me and 16 guys. Um, so to me, you know, it was a very big deal to like show everybody what I could do. Cause I'm not just like your typical, like, Oh, she's a girl. She wrestles like a girl. Like I am not that person. I am not that worker. Um, so, you know, I, I made some very deep lifelong friendships there. Um, the, but just, I'm pretty sure if anybody hears of deep South, it just, this is crazy stories. And it was a very crazy time. And I was there from the minute the doors opened until the minute the doors shut. Um, and then went to OVW and was released a week later. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about. Obviously you, you were in deep South, like you said, a couple of years, um, deep South shuts down. You go to Ohio Valley wrestling in Louisville. And like what you said, like about a week later, yeah you get released do, do you, 
I mean, did you, I'm, I'm guessing you were blindsided by that. Did they give you? I was, I got released on a Thursday and to my knowledge, I was going to be going to TV starting a new storyline the following Tuesday. Oh, wow. Did, did, so. they, did they give you any explanation or it's just good luck? Oh, creative, at- cre- creative had nothing for me. And I'm like, that's BS because I'm supposed to go to TV on Tuesday. So. <laughs> well, I can only imagine how incredibly disappointing that might, that must've been obviously. I mean, what, oh, I was what? devastated. I was 25 years old and I was like, wait a minute. Like, uh, this is supposed to be my career. Like I've always wanted to be a WWE diva. Like, what do you mean? Creative has nothing for me. I look amazing. I'm a, an incredible wrestler performer. Like how is there not a spot there? Like how, you know, I was devastated, like devastated. Um, and all of a sudden I went back to Canada and was living, you know, in my sister's spare bedroom. And I was like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Like, how am I back in Canada, my sister's house? Like, what is going on? Um, and that took me like a good month of like crying myself to sleep every night before I finally kind of got over it. And then I did a couple indies and just took some time. And then five months later, I got a contract for TNA. In between, I know that you did some shows uh, for AAA in Mexico. How did that opportunity come about? Uh, Conan hit me up. Um, how did I know Conan? I knew Conan previously. I think probably because even before I got to WWE, I was popping up at some uh, TNA shows when they were running at the Asylum in Nashville. And they were doing like their Wednesday night pay-per-views. Um, I think I might've met Conan there. Uh, yeah. And then I got asked to do triple a gosh, it was probably only like three weeks, three to four weeks after I got released from WWE. And I said, yes, but I remember once I got there and did like my first entrance, not as a WWE diva, I immediately knew when I stood on that stage, I was not ready. Um, to be back working or performing like mentally and emotionally. But I mean, I did, (laughs) Um, but I just remember having that hit me like, Whoa, Nope. Shouldn't be here right now, but I did what I did. Any uh, crazy stories from your time in Mexico? Oh, it was awful. You can't get my ass beat like mug. (laughs) Like, Oh my God. It was the worst. (laughs) I only did two shows. Um, no, normally when they bring like Canadian or American, just usually classified as American girls down to Mexico, they bring them in a group. So there's not just one, but for me, it was just me. Um, so I went down there and that's when I, that's where I met Hamada. Um, and I worked with the Apache sisters and stuff like that, but all of them speak Spanish and I don't at all. So they're all standing in a circle, putting the match together. And I'm just over here like, oh my God, oh my God, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what anybody's saying. And like, you know, Conan was helping to do so much stuff at AAA that I would, you know, if I had a few moments to grab him, to ask him to kind of help translate for me, um, like what we were doing. And to me, just the psychology of the matches was so ass backwards too, from what we're used to doing in America and from what was drilled in my head every day for two straight years at WWE Developmental. You know, they're doing like, uh, high spots and power bombs and hitting each other with chairs to start the matches. And then at the finish, they're doing tackle, drop down, leapfrog, finish. <laughs> you know what I'm like? Wait, wait, wait a minute. What? Like that's wait, how, like that's, that's backwards. Like I don't get it. And there was a major language barrier. Um, but the second night 
So yeah, I think I only did two shows, but the second night was like, it was like a triple meeting. Like it was a huge show. It was like 10,000 people, giant, you know, open outdoor arena. And there was this girl, I think her name was Cynthia Moreno, man. She had it out for me and I don't know why. Um, but, uh, Oh yeah, I got my ass beat that night. And once again, I was so emotionally and kind of mentally fragile at that point. Cause I was still just so devastated about being released from WWE. Um, and I mean, Oh geez. Like she pulled hair literally out of my scalp. Like my scalp was bleeding. She was like dragging me around by my hair so hard. Um, and I remember she dragged me by my hair from the ring all the way up the ramp onto the entrance stage. And she picked me up and she body slammed me so hard onto the stage. I hit my elbows so hard the next day they were black like like legitimately black and then the second she body slammed me she just jumped up and double stomped my boobs like right low-key double stomp right on my chest and I thought she like broke my boobs and I couldn't breathe and then she immediately just grabbed me by my hair again and just dragged me down the stairs down the back to the ring and I just remember being like oh my god this woman's gonna kill me um and I remember uh, the following couple days later like what I couldn't even sleep like once I got to the back I was literally on the floor of the locker room shaking um, you know, Conan was trying and she's just sitting there talking to Conan, like, what's her problem? And Conan's like, Oh my God, like you can't <laughs> like, you can't like, cause she had had like 14 years in Japan too, prior to going to Mexico. So she was used to that kind of wrestling and me, I was not used to that. Um, so Conan was like, you cannot wrestle these American girls like that. Like, Oh my God, they're not used to that. Da, 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 da. And he really gave her the, he really gave her like the what for, um, but I, he, he like literally had to bring a blanket and like put it around my shoulders and like rub my shoulders for me. Like I was shaking, I was crying. I couldn't breathe my chest. Like my scalp was bleeding. It was just like, and I was like, F Mexico, (laughs) like F this. And then like that night I couldn't sleep because I couldn't put my arms down in the bed. My elbows were so messed up. My elbow, they couldn't even touch a mattress, like something as soft as a mattress. Um, And then I had to fly home the next day and I had to sit with my arms crossed across my body. Like I looked like I had like shackles on me, but I didn't, I couldn't have my elbows touch the little airplane um, armrests because they're hard. Like they were, they were so sensitive, like and swollen. And then I remember I got home and this bruise started to form on my bicep on my left arm. And once it actually came to form, I, I don't have a picture of it, but I should have taken a picture it was her boot it was the tread of her boot like she kicked me so hard in my arm I literally had the tread of the sole of her boot imprinted bruised into my arm and you could literally see the little circle with the eight in it like the size eight wow like she lit yeah she literally tattooed my arm with her boot she kicked me so hard so I remember like a couple weeks later Conan was like hey uh, we got these shows coming up. Do you want to, and I'm like, you know what, Conan, let's just rain check that one. I'm just, let's just put that on the back burner for a little bit. Um, and then I didn't go back to Mexico until about 
three or four years later, we went with TNA when TNA had a working relationship with AAA. And it was like me and Velvet went as the beautiful people and Karen Jarrett and Jeff Jarrett and Abyss went down and Conan and a few others. And that lady, Cynthia Marino, she was there and she was hiding from me. She <laughs> was like scared to see me, scared to talk to me. She changed in a completely, my, my cat just knocked the cactus on the floor. That's great. Um, she changed in a completely different locker room and she she like had a girl one of the mexican girls like relay a message to me like an apology wow. <laughs> and i was like well i would really appreciate it if she could actually come to my face and say it but uh, i mean okay i guess that's just what it is and that was kind of like the last of it so uh my very brief time in mexico was a complete nightmare <laughs> Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about the the face to face apology. It might have been nice, even even that night. I mean, um, you know, like you said, she worked in Japan and stuff. And it's you know, it's one thing to work strong style or snug or stiff or whatever terminology you want to use, but it sounds like this went way beyond that to the point where it felt it felt like a mugging afterwards. To be yeah, quite did, honest. You, did you go up to her afterwards and say, you know, this is a work, right? No, because she didn't really speak English, and I was literally on the floor of the change room. Like, I just wanted, to, I just wanted to get the heck out of Mexico and back to Canada. <laughs> like I just no, I, I, I had she, had, I had just had my ass beat so bad. I really didn't know like what had just happened when I got to the back. I was just shaking and trying to breathe. There was like so much trauma to my body. Like I said, my my hair follicles were bleeding like i my my arms were numb my chest my boot like everything i was just like no no just get me out of here well you mentioned a couple times uh, since we've been talking you mentioned your parents i think on two different occasions and how supportive they have been and yeah. the stories like that i mean that did, did your do your parents ever say you know what like i don't know about this wrestling thing i mean when they see their daughter being hurt the concussion they heard about i'm sure what happened in mexico were they always just supportive no matter what or did they my, yeah my parents are absolute rock stars um I, you know just my sister and i just had the most wonderful loving family oriented stable upbringing um and yeah i listen i have a, a sister who's two years older than me and like i don't know how my parents raised two teenage girls and stayed sane because like with my son, I'm like, Oh my God, like I can't imagine when he's going to want to go hang out with his friends when he's 16 and I can't see where he is and I can't watch him. And like, I don't know like how my parents did it. And yeah, like, I mean, I left Canada when I was 22 and I moved down to the States and I was just wrestling and like on the road and my parents just had faith and, and my safety and trusted me. And um, like I said, like they were, my mom used to carry once like TriStar started making trading cards for the TNA talent. I would send them to my parents and my mom like would keep one in her purse. And like, anytime she talked to like people about her kids, she would like whip my trading card out of her purse and like, my daughter, she's the big wrestler and you know, it's their trading card. Like how cool is this? And like all that kind of stuff. So That's um, awesome. yeah, I don't really know how they've been able to just know that I would be okay and just trust um, that I know what I'm doing and that I would be safe. But I mean, I got my nostril ripped off uh, in 2002 in a match with Tracy Brooks and I was 
probably two, an hour and a half to two hours away from home. It was a Sunday evening indie show uh, in this tiny, tiny town of Welland, Ontario, which is close to Niagara Falls. And uh, I had to go to the hospital. And of course, like I wasn't going to be making it home at the time that my parents expected me to be home that night. And uh, um, I had to call my mom from the hospital and tell her like, Hey, just so you know, I'm at the hospital and got, you know, my nose is pretty messed up. I have to get stitches. And like, she was obviously very upset and they stayed up until I got home and, and stuff like that. But like when I started in the wrestling business, I never had plans on being a wrestler. I just wanted to be a manager. I wanted to manage Shawn Michaels. That was it. I just wanted to be like, I wanted to look like Sable and I wanted to be a manager. And so once I kind of, you know, was getting bored of being a manager and wanted to start you know, getting in on the action, my mom was like, wait a minute, like, I thought you just kind of wanted to stay on the outside of the ring and stay <laughs> safe and like not up to do this and that. And I'm like, oh, I'm bored. Like I'm doing the same spots and I'm not like learning anymore, like doing anything new. I want to do more and more and more. So, um, yeah, I, and they, they, they were there for me the second WWE released me. And I mean, yeah, they literally have done everything support-wise. Um, nothing but, oh, just blessed with such great parents. Great well, I, parents. I was going to ask you another question but before I, about your son now, though. Before I get to that, I'm shocked that you actually just wanted to be a valet because that doesn't seem like you're, like, I mean, you were one of the, I consider you one of the best workers, I think, around, and and you said, you know, you're not like this girly girl who's not afraid to take bumps. I'm shocked that you didn't want to be a wrestler. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. Um, uh, yeah, no, I didn't. I just, I had no wants to do it at all. Um, I did, like I said, I just wanted to be a manager. I just, oh my gosh, I would like watch wrestling in the basement and I would put on like a skirt and pretend that I was like managing when I was like watching it on the TV. Um, but yeah, I just... I think once I actually started doing stuff because I was, I was doing a little bit, like I was getting, you know, pushed or I was getting like a little something. And like one time I took a bump and I didn't know how, and of course I whacked my head, um, which is why you shouldn't take bumps if you're not trained. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think me, I always want to know more. I always want to learn more. I always want to be better. I always want to move forward. And I, I was a manager for a year and a half and it was with the same team. It would, and they were usually always working the same team. And I always had like the same three spots. And after like a year and a half, it's like, it's boring, yeah. you know? So I started training. Um, and, th and three weeks after training, I quit. I was like, oh, and I'm a Virgo too. So I'm like, I'm the type of personality where like, if I have to learn something new, I need to know how to do it immediately. Like the learning process, if it's difficult, I'm like, oh, why can't I just know how to, do I just want to know how to do this. Like, just tell me how to do it and make me do it. Um, <laughs> But that, you know, wrestling, like, hi, that doesn't happen. Uh, so, you know, I just, when I, I couldn't bump, I was, I was so skinny and lanky and not strong. Um, and I would just, you know, whack my tailbone and hit my head and land on my tailbone and hit my head and land on my tailbone and hit my head. And I was, you know, hitting my tailbone so much that when I would go home from training, I couldn't even walk up the three steps from the garage into my parents' house. Like I couldn't even lift my legs. My tailbone was like so messed up. So, um, I quit. I was like, you know what? Maybe this is just not for me. I thought I wanted to be a wrestler, but I cannot get this. So just F it. Um, and then like six weeks later, I was just like, oh man, I just have to try again. Like I really miss it. 
really want to try again. I know I can do this. Like, oh, I just missed doing this. And then once I went back, it was just like everything started rocking and rolling and it was flowing and I could bridge properly when I was given an arm drag and I was starting to take bumps that didn't suck. And then, you know, once you start to get like that little bit of positivity and, you know, a little faith in yourself, then you just kind of, and it all just kind of went from there. And I had really great training too, by the way, like just so blessed with my trainer and the people that I was able to train with too. Well, and I think you mentioned the time when you were first getting into it. I think, you know, the, the valet thing was definitely a big thing. The, uh, the pretty girls, the valet, not really taking the bumps, uh, or as far as wrestling goes. I mean, that's kind of the way things were promoted. Um, and then things changed after that. So I think and there wasn't a lot of women wrestling when I was right. growing up watching it anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I want to ask you, I was transitioning into a question then about you now as the parent, you have a son, David, what if at some point he comes to Ugh. you and says, man, I got this wrestling bug. I want to. So I will obviously support my son, whatever he wants to do in life. Uh, I will not in any way, um, be like, hey, do you want to be a wrestler? Hey, do you want to learn how to do this? Hey, do you want to get into this? I, th that will not be something that I push onto him, force upon him, whatever. If he decides that he wants to try that, then he's got a mom, you know, his, you know, his dad obviously wrestled for a long time, but uh, you know, he's got a mom who will uh, definitely make sure that everything is done right and done safely and he's around the right people and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I mean, if he also says that he wants to be a plumber or a, um, then, then yeah, we'll definitely um, support him in that as well. And just for those out there who may not know, you mentioned your, your, his father obviously is Davey Richards, who Ring of Honor fans know extremely well, former world champion, member of the American Wolves. So just, just in case people didn't know. We should, so he's definitely got it in his, in his genes. There's no question about that. But, yeah. <laughs> well, let me talk about uh, your, so you eventually get your big break. We've been leading up to this. You get to TNA. This is your break. How do you end up forming the beautiful people with Velvet Sky? Because there weren't really, I don't know of any at that point, uh, female tag teams. Everybody was kind of a single. Right. And that's exactly why we decided to do a tag team. Um, because when we, we were, you know, we're OG knockouts. Um, so when they brought in the first bunch of girls to start the knockouts division, everybody was just this one singular female identity, this one singular character. Um, so we wanted to be different. And, you know, we have so many similarities. We obviously have a lot of differences. We have so many similarities at the same time. And we just, you know, we dress the same. We were always over the top with hair and makeup and like the show and being sexy and um, the little outfits and all that kind of stuff. So, and we you know it just same sarcastic personality, sense of humor, all that kind of stuff. So we just bonded and we knew each other before the division started to. Um, so we just bonded very quickly and we had just decided like, Hey, let's do something together because everybody is just their own one singular character. There's no tag team. Let's do something where we're like a little team, a little group. Um, so that's just what we just kind of decided. I think we just were like in the hotel one night and we just decided that that's what we were going to do. <laughs> Yeah, and the rest is history. Obviously, the, the beautiful people, huge. Yeah, we went to Vince. We went to Vince Russo with it, and um, you know they changed our names because we had both started TNA as in Angel Williams and Talia Madison, um, but then they changed our names. Probably I don't know a month or two in, 
Um, and then, you know, so once we got our names, like we were like, these are porn star names. This is ridiculous. Like we hated our names to start. We obviously love them now, but we hated them to start. Um, so we were going to, we wanted to call ourselves Velvet Love Entertainment because we were like, hey, let's just go with it. Let's just make our tag team name sound like a porn company, Velvet Love Entertainment. Um, and I think uh, Mike Tanay actually said that a few times on air. Um, but then Ru uh, Vince Russo had said the beautiful people and we were like, what? Like, that is so lame. <laughs> like, we were like, the, like, we're going to be a the, like, we'd want to be a the, that's not cool. And then, but he wanted it. So we stuck with it. And then like, obviously, like, it's become like iconic. So it all worked out. Did you and Velvet have much creative input as to how things, as to, uh, whether it was, I don't know, the look or things that you did. I mean, how much creative input did you have, if any? Oh, a, a ton. Okay. Oh, we had a ton of creative input. And, what, and, you know, a lot of people have their things that they want to say about Vince Russo. If you ever ask Velvet or I about Vince Russo, we have nothing but good things to say about him because he just knew us and he trusted us. And um, we were always able to talk to him. We were always able to joke with him. Um, he loved our gimmick um, and he was always really good about making sure that as many girls as possible in whatever role possible were on as many shows as possible, if that makes sense. So he was always making sure like, okay, if the girls match tonight is going to be ODB and Gail and Tracy and uh, Kong. You know what I mean? There's four girls right there. Well, we got to get the beautiful people in. Okay, well, let's get the throne set up. Let's do a backstage segment with the beautiful people in Kip. So there's six girls right there. You know what I mean? Like, then you could have a, a girl managing a guy. There's seven girls right there on one show. Like, he was always finding ways to have the girls on the shows. So, um, and he was very, and he, he trusted Velvet and I. He knew we were killing it every time a camera was in front of us. Um, so he, I remember, like, when he would give us, like, you know, this is what I want you guys to say in your promo, whatever we would read over it. And we would be like, Hey Vince, like, I just don't feel like we would say this because we were always about believability. I feel like one of the biggest things for the beautiful people is everybody really believed we, we were that those people in real life. Um, so if Vince ever wrote something where we were like, yeah, I just can't see myself like saying that sentence exactly like that and making it believable. Can I kind of like take that out or can I like change it and say something else? And he was like, Oh yeah, like go ahead. As long as you just hit these main points and tell everybody when the pay-per-view is on Sunday, whatever he's like, you're fine. So it was always, there was such a open dialogue and an open just book of just being able to talk with him and uh, collaborate on things. And yeah, it, it was like, we love that he trusted us. We love that we could talk to him. We love that if we ever needed to change anything, it was never a big deal. It was never an argument. Everything just worked. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah. That sounds like a, that's a great way to do it. And nobody's going to know your characters better than you. I've talked to so many uh, talents over the years and, and I've heard that same story pretty much from everyone that, you know, no one, Yes, you can have writers and such. Um, I have a background as a, as a WWE writer, uh, but I know my, even myself that the talent certainly knows their characters better than any of us in the writer's room. So that's, uh, yeah. I really understand what you're saying there. Last question I want to ask you about uh, TNA though, was the knockouts division. It, it was really such an integral part of the show. And I think it was such a contrast from what WWE was doing with the women's division at that time. Um, what was it like just being, being a part of that where you had, you know, yourself and Velvet and Awesome Kong, Gail Kim, ODB, all these 
talents together at one point and really the company getting behind you and giving you a platform and not saying, Hey, uh, you got two minutes, go, <laughs> you know, two minute, three minute match. Right. But, I mean, what yeah, was well, you know what? It, it was really, it was really cool because in the beginning it was like, you know, it was sink or swim. It was like, all right, let's try this women's division. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, screw it. Well, do you know what I mean? Like it won't work. We won't do it. Um, so I appreciate that we were, you know, given the opportunity. And for me, I was so happy to be there because I was so brokenhearted about WWE not working out. Um, and all I had, I, I knew I was TV worthy. I knew I was pay-per-view worthy. I knew I was championship material and I just did, I was not given the chance to show that in WWE. So I was so thankful. Like the, the first show we did was like TV and pay-per-view. And I was like, yes, like this is what I wanted. Like I was so excited to do it. Um, and like I said, like we made history and I'm so grateful and thankful that I was one of the ones that was looked at to, you know, as to be a, a good, a good fit to help start this, um, this division. And we, we just had a lot of fun and, uh, I appreciate that they gave us the opportunity and man, like we were killing it. Like we were getting the highest rated segments on the shows and, and didn't even bother the guys, the whole roster. Like the guys were like, heck yeah, look at you guys taking this, you know, Kurt Angle and Sting were coming up to us. Like I watched your match. That was awesome. Like kick ass ladies, blah, blah, blah. And then we'd all be like, did Sting just tell us that he watched our match? Like, (laughs) is this real? Like, is this real life? Like, um, so it was, and you know, like I trained with Gail, I trained with Tracy and here all of us are. And then, you know, Taylor Wilde came in, we all trained together and here we all are on national world, well, worldwide television, pay-per-views, we're all doing the damn thing, you know? And it was just like, it was really cool to, to all of us to be able to do that. Um, and it was a great group of girls to start it. And it, like I said, the time, the time was just so fun. And I just feel so fortunate. That's something that nobody can ever take away from us. And we'll always have that as our own. Um, oh my gosh. It was, it was just the best time. You know, everything is about timing. It really is. Yeah. I think all of you were doing the women's revolution before the women's revolution became a thing. Yeah, we were, we were. And, uh, um, you know, I, I don't think at that specific time when we started the knockouts division that WWE was doing that stuff with, was doing that much with their girls. Um, but we knew that they were watching us. Like we knew, you know, they were kind of monitoring and seeing, and then, you know, they really stepped everything up with their women too, which I'm sure their women are very happy about too. Cause I'm sure they all wanted to do more as well. Well, I can speak, I can tell you firsthand some of the, when I was at WWE, which was, I started there in 2011 as a writer and things really hadn't changed yet. It was still very much divas and, you know, three minutes, if you're lucky, on TV in a match. Yeah. And um, I could tell you there were definitely some frustrated uh, women there who, who oh, sure, I bet. wanted to do much more. So, All right, well, we're going to take uh, another quick break. We'll be back with Angelina Love right after this. Ring of Honor presents the best Dungeons and Dragons on the planet with Joe Hendry as Mega, the singing sensation, Beer City Bruiser as Maynard, Dwarven Cleric of Ale, Session Marth Martina as Thea, Roller Malonis as Ander the Bold Barbarian, and Cheeseburger as Santee. Together, these wrestlers become heroes. Join these stars and more for Role Play of Honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Angelina Love. 
since this is the ROH podcast, we absolutely have to talk some uh, Ring of Honor. Uh, it took you a while to get to ROH, but we're glad that you finally made it. No, it didn't. Did you not know that? Were you in Ring of Honor before? <laughs> I did. So I actually just mentioned this. Uh, they just did a, a whole TV episode uh, on the Allure. And uh, I did mention that. So before I got hired by WWE in 2004, I did two Ring of Honor shows. Uh, it was, uh, well, I might've done a couple more, but the ones that I remember was, it was the weekend, I was it the weekend of Thunder when Jushin Thunder Lager came up. It was like November, 2004. Okay. Um, and I was actually supposed to do the Ring of Honor show on December 26, 2004. But I had got the call from Dreamer like days before that saying that I was hired by WWE. So then I had to call, I think it was Gabe. I think I had to call Gabe and tell him like, Hey, I just got signed to WWE developmental. I'm not going to be able to do the ring of honor show. And he was like, Oh, congratulations. That's great. Blah, blah, blah. And wished me the best. And that was it. So yeah, I had the braids. I was actually in the embassy with Prince Nana and Jimmy Rave. I was Jimmy Rave's footstool, which would <laughs> never, which would never fly in the world today. But at the time no. it was funny. <laughs> now that you say that, I do remember hearing that story. Yes. Yeah. So you made so it's actually your, kind of like a full circle scenario. Right, right. So you right. made your though official, you weren't Angelina Love back then though. I'm sure you were. No, Angelina. it was Angel Williams. Yeah. So let's put it this way. Angelina Love makes her ROH <laughs> And what better place to make it than at Madison Square Garden for a sold out crowd. What was that experience like walking out uh, with Velvet? Um, Mandy didn't walk out with you. I think she joined you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was it like walking out? I mean, were you ner were there nerves beforehand? Obviously, you're a veteran. You've been in this a long time. But what was it like right before you came through the curtain? So I don't ever um, get super nervous backstage, a because I don't like feeling that way. Period. So I don't. I don't think I. I think I don't let myself feel that way. But there's always just like the anxiousness of just wanting to get out there and just be out there because then it's immediate adrenaline, and then once you take over, you're just in like wrestler world you know what I mean wrestler mode wrestler mentality so um when we found out we were going to be making our debut it was just like you know it was Wrestlemania weekend it was a D1 super card like big huge show and like the you know Madison Square Garden is the mecca for wrestlers you know what I mean like so just being what was I at that time 18 years in the business maybe it was just like making it not only debuting but doing it at Madison Square Garden. It's like, oh, MSG, like, yes, like MSG. Like we had to get our picture taken in that elevator with the logo behind, you know what I mean? Like that was so cool. It was, it was so awesome. Um, we, we didn't really get a chance to like meet a ton of people on the roster, but like we've known Jay Lethal forever. We know Mandy. Um, so we know some people on the roster. Uh, but um, yeah, that was definitely cool. And we had kept it hush-hush too. So it was a very well-kept secret. Um, you can see in like some of the videos and some of the still shots of like when we're coming down the ramp, like there's a couple people that like their mouths are just like, their jaws are on the ground. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's so um, hard. But it was definitely cool. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's so hard to keep a secret. Obviously, uh, nowadays in pro wrestling, everything gets out. And, and yeah, I knew, obviously I knew you guys were going to be there and um, was just hoping it wouldn't get leaked. I even remember being there before the doors opened and, and you guys were like on the ramp or I think you were talking about, you know, how you were going to make your entrance, whatever. And I'm looking around just like, 
in the building to see like, okay, who's here? Like, <laughs> are there any uh, like, uh, you know, wrestling writers or are there yeah, like, dirt sheet people dirt sheet. Yeah. like is there anybody here <laughs> that like sees them right now and this is going to get out but no it, it didn't and it was yeah it worked it worked out perfectly yeah but it was really cool i still have the videos on my phone because like you know it's just such a deep staircase that goes down from the stage down into gorilla in the back so you can stand literally at the bottom of the stairs and nobody could see you and it was just like the place was packed like to the ceiling um, and we love that as a performer, like you want to be doing shows in front of that many people. Well, it must've been cool too. You got to do it with velvet. You guys have such a history it wasn't yeah. coming in by yourself. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. It was just another notch on the history belt for us. Well, I've, again, we've talked about your, your deep history uh, with each other, but I didn't know, I was going to ask you, you just mentioned that you had known Mandy. That was going to be my question is, did you know Mandy Leone beforehand? Um, you said you did, uh, but the chemistry did it did it click right away with mandy yeah like we like we like neither of us like we didn't know no mandy like we know each other um but you know like i said mandy's always done a ton of signings and appearances at conventions and stuff like that so we've always seen her like at a wrestlecon or you know at legends or something in new jersey or you know whatever so we had we had seen her um, I just remember always thinking like, I have to see her in person because she doesn't even look real. Like she's so pretty. <laughs> like <laughs> I have to, I have to study her in person to just see. Um, but yeah, but once we, uh, you know, got to know her and got to talking to her, like, oh, she's just like us. Like she's so sweet. She's so caring. She's so funny. She's quiet when she wants to be quiet. She's silly when she wants to be silly. Um, she's so easy to work with. She, yeah, it just, it all worked out so well. Well, I just wanted to ask you too about Velvet because obviously she didn't stick with the group for long in Ring of Honor because she had, I think she's talked about, um, she couldn't wrestle anymore. She had some physical issues. How, I just want to ask, how is she doing now? Do you know, is she doing okay from a physical standpoint? She is. Um, uh, you know, for, for a long time, she was going through some things. Um, I feel like she's kind of come out on the other side now. Um, so we, you know, we talk every day. She just texted me before we started doing this. Um, so the, the cool thing about Velvet and I is, you know, we've been friends and we've been doing this for so long. It's always kind of been like a fraternal twin thing with us. Like still, even if we had, like, I haven't seen, I haven't, we haven't seen each other in months. Right. But we'll still text each other, like at the same time, or like, I'll be flipping through something on Twitter and I'll see like a ridiculously funny tweet and I'll screenshot it and send it to her and she'll write me back and she'll be like, stop it. I was just looking at that tweet, right? When you sent it to me or like. We'll, we'll say something to each other and she'll be like, get out of my head. Like I was literally just going to say that to you or she'll send me something and I'll be like, girl, I just saw that five minutes ago on Instagram. Like get out of my head. Like that happens all the time. And the funny thing is, is it started to happen with Mandy too. So it's got to be like some kind of like energetic vibe thing where like if you hang out with Velvet or I, like everybody just starts thinking the same thing or they're just like looking at the same thing and they want to send each other the same thing or we're finishing each other's sentences or texting each other the same thing at the same time. Like that's actually started to happen to Mandy now. And the first time it happened with her, I was like, oh, welcome to hanging out with me and Velvet. This is going to happen often. So get used to it. <laughs> Do you have the um, the cravings for Oreos as well? Like I know Velvet has. Oh yeah, we all eat Oreos. Not all of them. Like I don't like the fruity flavored Oreos, but yeah. Okay. Can't go wrong with Oreos. I know she's a big fan, so that's why. I just <laughs> <it>. <laughs> all right. Let me ask you though about um, 
just the women's division in Ring of Honor right now because I think it's it's fair to say it's sort of in a transitional stage. But I know there was a lot of excitement about the quest for gold, uh, which unfortunately, as we all know, had to be postponed because of the pandemic. But it's you know I'm sure we're going to have it at some point. Um, and there was a lot of incoming talent. I think people were excited about just as a, as the veteran. You know, one of the I guess you and Sumi are the the, the two veterans uh, as far as time in the business on the roster. What are your thoughts on just the women's division, where we are, where we can go, uh, you know, kind of the current state? Um, well, yeah, I think uh, it's obviously definitely in limbo. Um, you know, we've had a blast just running the women's division for the last year. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when we get back, because I think some women were signed like right when COVID hit. So I don't even know who these girls are. I don't know their wrestling. Um, so it sounds like we're going to have like a new, uh, like new additions to the roster once we come back. So I'm, I'm very uh, interested and excited to see um, everybody in the locker room and see how we all get along and see how we all work together because there's going to be new people there. So I think once everybody gets going back to work, it's just going to be like, okay, like, here's all this new stuff. Okay. We got to get used to this. We got to work with that. Okay. Let's just go. Let's go. Let's go. So I am excited to see um, who will be coming in. Yeah. I think I, we know Kellyanne uh, from Australia has been signed. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, that's, that's official. I'm not sure if some of the other people who were coming in for the tournament had been officially signed, but obviously just some other new additions uh, before the pandemic, obviously Nicole Savoy, came in, uh, you wrestled her, Session Mod mm -hmm. wrestled her as well. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the, the rebuilding of the division was already, I think, sort of in place. Uh, and it started. Yeah, and everything in the wrestling world is ebb and flow, you know what I mean? So there was a good, there was a little bit of a time there where there were just not many girls in the locker room. So um, like I said, it'll be interesting to see when we get back how everything kind of plays out with everybody. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to squeeze in our final short break. When we come back, we're going to do 10 questions with Angelina Love. Tonight, we'll be discussing another very important topic, wrestling in the COVID-19 era. Phone rang and it was someone from uh, Ring of Honor office and they said, look, this is bigger than wrestling. This is a pandemic. Nobody knew exactly what coronavirus was. Ring of Honor was one of the only companies to completely shut down and say no. If there's a virus out there that you can catch just by being within six feet of somebody imagine wrestling somebody you're going to be a lot closer than six feet i have huge huge fears i'm scared s-less to be perfectly frank roh roundtable now available on youtube.com slash ring of honor all right we are back on the roh strong podcast my guest is angelina love Angelina, are you up for a round of 10 questions? Oh boy, I guess so. As long as there's no favorite questions, because I suck at the favorites game. Ah, I don't know, there might be. I might have to come up with some new questions then. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. Here you go, um, ad lib, on the, on the spot, here we go. All right. There is a favorite question, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, question okay. number one. <laughs> question number one. Uh, you may have answered this already. I was going to say, what is your earliest memory of pro wrestling? 
was it Shawn Michaels? Is that what, or was that, that was your No, no, it sure wasn't. Um, I was just flipping through them little flippy TVs that we used to have when I was like seven years old. Um, and I was just flipping through the channels one day, hanging out with my parents and uh, flipped by wrestling. Just wrestling just happened to be on. Don't remember the day, don't remember the time. And I think the first thing was uh, Macho Man doing an elbow off the top. And you know, his outfits were always like so elaborate and colorful. And then I just saw like the fans going crazy. And I've always been into sports ever since I was a kid. So this was, you know, acting sports kind of thing. So I just remember being so mesmerized by it the first time I saw it. Like, what is this? This is so cool. Like, look at all these people and their camera flashes and this guy just jumped on this other guy. Like, what is this? <laughs> um, so I remember loving it from the first time I saw it, but I was just so young. So, um, I didn't really, really get into it until I was a teenager and learned how to track when shows would be on TV and, you know, use a VCR. Okay. All right. I know that you're into music. So question number two, what's the first concert that you ever attended? Oh, new kids on the block. <laughs> I was my hoping aunt, to say something yeah, like my that. Aunt took, my aunt took my sister and I to new kids when they came to Toronto. Uh, I think it was like December 1990 or something like that, I think. I was hoping you'd say something like that because I think the the answer most people would think of would, it would be like a metal band, right? But it was actually New Kids on the Block. That's oh yeah, I didn't get into like rock and metal until I was like a teenager. Okay, so question number three. This is the only favorite question of the of, of the list. Okay. It just is. What is what is your favorite rock band of all time? Uh, of all time, um. Well, I will say that a band that I love that I feel like can do no wrong is Linkin Park. Okay. That's a good choice. Yeah. Love Chester. God bless them. <laughs> All right. Question number four. This is a, a broad question. What scares you? <sighs> Not living life to the fullest because as we all know, anything can happen in the, in a split second. Um, so I think, the thing that scares me the most is just not doing things in the time that I have to do them because you just never know what'll happen. Question number five. Who would play you in the Angelina love story? <laughs> uh, I don't know. The Angelina love story sounds pretty cool. Um, who would play me? Uh, maybe Anna Ferris because <laughs> she's goofy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, little known fact, she's uh, she's from my neck of the woods, Baltimore. So, uh, oh, out. okay. Oh, I love her. She's hilarious. It would have to be somebody who's definitely goofy. <laughs> All right, question number six: Are you a dog person, cat person, both, or neither? Uh, both, but more cat than dog. I always wanted to have cats growing up, but I couldn't because my mom's like severely allergic, so we just had hamsters <laughs> growing up. Um, but yeah, ever since I've pretty much moved out of the house, I've had cats. But do you get along with Foxy? Mandy's oh, dog. Oh, Foxy's hilarious. Yes, yes. No, I do I do love dogs. But for me, just having such a busy schedule, you know, cats stay indoors and they can go to the bathroom in a box and they can take care of themselves for like two or three days at a time. You don't have to worry about it. Dogs, it's like, it's not like that at all. <laughs> That's true. All right, question number seven. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Something that you like that maybe you wouldn't want to admit? But we're asking you to admit. Gosh, I don't know. Um, 
Nothing off the top of my head that I don't think yeah. that I wouldn't want anybody to know about. I'm not like, you know, I don't suck on toes or anything like that, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, question number eight. Who is your celebrity crush? And we all have. Uh, yeah, so from when I was very young, uh, Brad Pitt was was definitely my celebrity crush. Now I would have to say Tom Hardy or Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg, huh? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Wasn't wasn't his time kind of like I don't know, ten years ago or so? No, no. I think he's timeless. I do. All right. All right. Question number nine. This is more of a straightforward one. Um, you're 20 years in, as you, as you talked about. Have you given any thought to how much longer you want to continue an in-ring career? Um, I feel like that will just, that'll figure itself out when it's supposed to, because you don't ever want to just be like, eh, maybe I should just stop for now and I'm going to retire. And then like a year later, you're like, I'm coming out of retirement. I don't want to be done. Like wrestling, it, it, it's such a life thing. It's such an engulfing, passionate thing that you have to know when you're done to be done. I feel like my body will probably just let me know, but I don't feel that way now whatsoever. Um, but I also don't want to be wrestling when I'm 50 <laughs> either, you know, if that makes sense. But I feel like just because it's been more than half my life that I've been involved in this business at this point, I still, even when I'm not physically competing, I still want to be involved in this business. I feel like this will be a lifelong thing for me, um, but I want to transition into a backstage role um, being an agent or, uh, you know, being in creative or being in the office somehow, um, being a trainer. I really would love to be someone who helps people specifically with promos. Um, because I just feel like I'm such a great promo story because I grew up being definitely shy of speaking in front of people. I hated when I had to do speeches in class and I had to stand up in front of the class for three minutes and talk. Like I would have rather like, broken my foot than I've done that um, and just wrestling wrestling completely broke me out of that introverted shell of not wanting to being scared to death of speaking in front of people and I feel like I'm so good at it now like I could easily grab a microphone and go speak in front of 20 in front of 20,000 people and not think two seconds of it so um, and I just feel like I'm really good at the depths and the tones and really getting your points across with how you can really like just take a word and just say it in a specific way to be able to knock your point home. Um, and I would love to be able to help people like the future specifically with talking. I feel like that would be really cool, but obviously, um, I would like to, to, um, get into a, a backstage role because I just I just love it. I'll always want to have a part of it because I've been doing it for so long at such a young age. I feel like I have so much to give back and so much to be able to help people, the future generations, just help them learn how to do TV and speak and do their characters and just all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think you'd, you'd be a natural for that role uh, for sure. And Thank I must you. say, man, I, I would never have thought of you as an, uh, as an introvert. It's hard to believe that you would certainly never. Um, no, you wouldn't know it now. That's for sure. You know it now. But it's funny, the thing too, you said about um, you wouldn't want to say you're retiring and then come back because, yeah, that, you know, that you would be the first, I think, in pro wrestling who would said, I'm retiring and then came back because that never happens in this business. You're being sarcastic, right? 
Yeah, that was my that was my sarcasm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that never happens. <laughs> All right, question number ten. This is our final question. Um, I wasn't going to ask this one because I didn't want to end things on a bad note, but you know, as, as a journalist, I feel like I have to ask it. Um, you've picked on Quinn McKay pretty much since her first day in Ring of Honor. What, what is your what is your problem with Quinn? I mean, if you watch uh, anything that we've done for the last year, she has just got an attitude. Like, you know how I said, like kids and animals can like really feel vibes from people. Um, I feel like my inner spirit animal just like sniffs out Quinn and just can feel just like those snarky uh, age of entitlement vibes from her. And I just like, she's got to know who I am and what I can do in my history in the business. And I just find it very bizarre that she's even dared um, try to pull attitude with me and, and not understand what she would be getting herself into. I mean, she'll find out. That's what I want to ask you about though. Again, on a serious note, you've actually threatened her with, I mean, doing her bodily harm. Like, is it a threat? Is it a threat? Is it a threat though? Is it really a threat or am I just, I, I don't know that it's so much a threat or so much as I'm just telling her, like, I mean, if you look at her social media and some of the stuff that she posts, I mean, she doesn't seem to care. So why would I seem to care? I'm just telling her what's up. Okay. If but she wants to take that as a threat, that's on her. But I mean, I'm just telling her what's up. She should well, kind of know that if she knows anything about me. I don't want to be argumentative. I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate though. You did say. Oh, oh Kevin, why would you be argumentative? You, <laughs> you did say I'm coming for your head and this is not a joke. That sounds yeah. like a threat. Well, I'm a wrestler. Yeah, is, that, is that something that you've never heard before? Right, but usually you say that to another wrestler, not to a backstage correspondent. Well, apparently she doesn't seem to understand that she's just a backstage correspondent. So, you know what I mean? If she's going to, she really needs to check herself before she opens her mouth. I think that's pretty obvious. So if she, if she just wants to stay as a backstage correspondent and not get herself involved and she should watch what she says. She doesn't watch what she says. So okay. well, I'll tell I'm you, just not, I'm just not the kind of person that you can get away with that. Well, I, I, I hear you. And I actually told her that. And uh, she basically told me to mind my own business. And if she wanted my opinion, she'd ask for it. So, so. she's stupid. I mean, Hey, God bless her. <laughs> Let her be stupid. But you, you can't, you can't, there's a certain people you can be stupid with and there's certain, certain people you cannot be stupid with. I, I, I think you know which one that is with me. I do. I do. All right. Well, I appreciate you asking that question uh, or answering that question, I should say. Uh, before I, I wrap up, do you have uh, social media uh, information you want to give out where people can follow you? Yeah, just uh, Twitter um, at actual a love and uh, Instagram at a love, the number four life, the number two, two, two. Awesome. Well, Angelina, thanks so much. You gave you were very generous with your time. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for answering the Quinn McKay question. Yeah. Couldn't have done a better note, but it's all good. All right. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, Keep it locked into ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong podcast will be available. This is Kevin Eck saying, stay safe, everyone. and Let's all be ROH Strong. Uh, 
you are listening to RH Strong and uh you know thank you very much and uh we we thank you.